Would you please stand with me this morning as we begin our time? I tell you, we can uh, sure devastate attendance huh, when you have a women's retreat. First of all, you take out a bunch of women in the assembly, and then you take out all the men who had to be home with kids. and That'll take them out of the assembly, too, a lot of them. What a great privilege to be here as we share in Father's Word. Man, what a blessing. Did you hear that term? Father's Word. The Word of a father with love for his kids to tell them about life, to tell them about himself. That's pretty awesome. Let's pray. Our Father, what a privilege. We thank you for the privilege. We ask as we break open your word that you would capture every aspect of our being. Our mind, our hearts, our emotions, especially our will. Because we want to live. We want to really live. The way man was intended to live. In intimate union with his God. In face-to-face intimacy. Just like it was for Adam before that terrible day of rebellion. So be it, my God. Bring that about by the power of your Spirit in each and every life. We'll trust you to do that. In Jesus' blessed, blessed name, would every saint say it. I'm getting a hum up here, Philip. It's from this monitor thing. Yeah. Unplug it. began our time last week. There's another one. That one. Did somebody pull the plug on that one? (laughs) It's louder than normal for some reason. There we go. Thank you. You ever have something like that just bug you? As we began our time last week, I shared with you some children's perceptions of things. And we all had a good laugh. Well, apparently Kevin Fruge thought that we were supposed to continue that. And he sent me a couple pages of kids' perceptions. And uh, I won't share all of them with you, but I got a, a kick out of some of them. One story tells of a little child that came home from Sunday school and told his mother that he had learned a, a new song at Sunday school. Where did he learn it? Okay, at Sunday school, about a cross-eyed bear named Gladly. Did you hear that? At Sunday school, this little kid learned a new song about a cross-eyed bear named Gladly. Well, it took the mother a minute before she realized the song that he was talking about. Gladly, the cross-eyed bear. Get it? (laughs) That's some faulty perception, isn't it? I like this one. Little four-year-old Catholic boy playing with a little four-year-old Protestant girl. 
in a plastic wading pool in the backyard, and they were splashing a lot of water on each other, and their clothes were getting soaking wet. So, like little kids, they decided to take their clothes off. The little boy looked at the little girl and said, Golly, I didn't know there was that much difference between Catholics and Protestants. <laughs> you just got it, Carol? <laughs> oh, it's still tickling you. Okay. And then this one. This was cute. Little nine-year-old Joy asked by his mother what he had learned in Sunday school. Well, Mommy says our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And when he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge. And all the people walked across safely. And then he used his walkie-talkie to radio headquarters and call in an airstrike. And they sent in bombers to blow up their bridge and, and all the Israelites were saved. Sounds like a little nine-year-old boy, doesn't it? And Mama said, Joey, is that really what your teacher taught you? He said, well, no, Mom. But if I told you the way the teacher did, you'd never believe it. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Oh, well, my friends, let me tell you. Thanks, Kevin. It's good to laugh. But we need to add, though, that we don't want those childhood perceptions. Not when it comes to the Word of God. When it comes to the Word of God, we want their childlike faith, no doubt. But we don't want their childlike perceptions. We want adult understanding. We want adult comprehension. We want to be able to understand God so that we can know who He is and what He wants to be to us so that we in turn know who we are and what we're supposed to be about. Isn't that right? But with that goal in mind, we opened up an incredible passage that I told you I had been longing to study for 14 years, ever since I began the Gospel of John back up in Delaware. We finally got there. And we have had a marvelous time the last couple of weeks. We've looked at, in two weeks, at two incredible truths from one specific verse. John chapter 15, verse 1. The first incredible truth was that Jesus is the true vine. That was a startling revelation to the nation of Israel because throughout history, Israel was referred to as the vine. And anyone that wanted to find life with God would find it through the nation of Israel. But now Jesus has said, Nuh-uh, that's not really the way it is. The only reason Israel was the vine was because they were supposed to lead us to God. They were the great missionary effort of God. God exposing and revealing Himself through people. But all of that was really pointing to Jesus Christ. The sacrificial lamb and all of that great picture pointing to Jesus. Looking to an, uh, an ultimate and greater fulfillment that would occur in Him. And now He's here. And so He is the true vine. The true source of life. And when you and I really want to experience life, my friends, we dare not look to our possessions. We dare not look to other people. We dare not look to our occupations. And how many of you know that we can get life out of those things? Of course we can. But it's not ultimate life. It's not ultimately fulfilling life. Did you know that the average male in America dies within five years of retiring? 
What a tragedy. What, what an incredible tragedy. Why is that? Isn't that what we were waiting for? May I suggest to you that it's because he spent the last 40 or so years of his life getting an identity out of what he was doing. And when he stopped doing it, there was no reason to live. Life is found in Christ, my friends. That's what it's all about. And the life is not by us that's used throughout the New Testament. It's Zoe, the very life of God Himself. And then if that wasn't startling enough, we had our time last week where we got the incredible revelation that the Father is the vine dresser. Why is that so startling? Because throughout the Bible, God is pictured as the owner of the vineyard. And when you're a rich owner, you don't work in the fields, my friend. You hire laborers to do that. But in John 15, it's totally different. Here we get the startling revelation, not only that God is the owner of the vineyard, but that God is the laborer of the vineyard. The labor of the vineyard is far, far, far too important to leave to a common hired hand. We the branches are too precious in the sight of God. It costs Him too much to acquire us. To leave that task to anyone but an expert. And so this work is not entrusted to anyone. And we said, well, what is the main issue of a vine dresser? Once he's planted the field removed the stones, fertilized it, built the wall to protect it. All in preparation, then began the real work. And the real work is a work of lifelong pruning. Pruning, first of all, and cutting away dead branches. Wasn't that wonderful when we saw that? Isn't that an incredible thought, Roddy? God is going to come to you with a very sharp knife, and He's going to cut away bitterness out of your life, and He's going to cut away bad habits, and He's going to cut out faulty thinking patterns. Isn't that a wonderful thing, Bill? I mean, that's wonderful. Here we thought sanctification was our work alone. Isn't it wonderful, Debbie, to know that it's God's work and all we've got to do is cooperate with Him and He'll cut that dead garbage out of our lives that we used to call ourselves? Isn't that an exciting revelation? And so we praise Him. Oh, God, You're so good to us. It's easy to praise Him when He removes nasty things out of our lives. Glorious, glorious truth. And then came the sobering revelation that God not only cuts away the dead branches, He cuts away the good ones. Whack! Oh, God! What was wrong with that? That, that branch had fruit on it even. But He will do that to increase the intensity of the flow of His own life in and through the branches so that we'll have a... What did we call it? Concentrated Christ. Incredible. Incredible truth. He will do that in our own lives to bring about an even greater harvest. And so He will come to your life, John, and cut and cut and cut good things. And so faithful is He to do that for us that we just sing His praises. Right? With tears in our eyes, we sing His praises. Never in my 19 years of teaching this book, never have I experienced the intensity of the Holy Spirit in my life 
as I experienced it last week. Those of you that were here, you experienced it as well. I know you did. Because I saw your faces. And many of you came and remarked to me and shared with me this week of the incredible work that God did in your life last week. Some of you, however, came to me and you relayed this truth that what we saw last week was incredibly scary for you. You revealed to me that it is a very fearful thing to yield your life in the way that we prescribed last week because we did get very detailed, didn't we? And so this morning, before we move ahead, we need to come back to that. Back to where we ended up and deal with that fear. And I want to do that in two ways. First of all is this, to share with you that when you yield control of your life, you and I need to understand that that does not mean out of control. Which is what the enemy would try to get us to think. If I yield this area of my life to you, God, that is so scary, I'm going to be out of control. That's only half the truth. Out of control is not the opposite of yielding control to God. Say that with me. Out of control is not the opposite of yielding control to God. Yielding control to God produces God control, not out of control. You all see that? The enemy would have you stop short right here with out of control. Well, Frank, that's real comforting. Because after what you shared last week, he's still coming with a knife. And he's still cutting some good things. And that really doesn't comfort me all that much. You know what? Welcome to the club. It doesn't comfort me either. But we need to understand that it's not an issue of comfort. One of the greatest books I've ever read, if not the greatest book I've ever read, written by a human being, was written by Carol Mayo. And it's called Help Lord, My Whole Life Hurts. Now, at this time in my life, I've personally purchased over 200 copies of that book. I can't keep them in my library. They're now out of print. I put a book search, bought the last 25 copies available in this country and the last 15 available in Canada. It's an incredible book. In it, she outlines the pruning process of God. And she said, the love of God comes in a painful package sometimes. He comes to strip away and to cut away all the props that we depend on. All of the counterfeit sources of life that we look to. And in the end, when we're left there, bloody and bruised, we find that all we have left is God. And we find at that point in our lives that He was all we ever really needed. And so I would say this to our fear. Three great things. He will not allow anything into your life that is not ultimately for your good. That's the great truth of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. No matter how painful it looks in the beginning, it is ultimately for your own good to bring you back into intimate relationship with Himself. Secondly, 
He will not allow anything more in your life than is necessary to bring you into that good. Hallelujah for that one. Because that means you and I can cut short the pruning process by cooperating and entering into His purposes in our life. And the truth we can get that from is the book of Job. Because He did not allow Satan to touch Him without first His own permission. And then He only allowed Satan to touch possessions and other things. And then He only allowed Satan to touch His house, but not His life. He couldn't take His life. You see that? God will only allow what is into our lives what is necessary. And I, I, I tell you something, this is a glorious truth because if you'll just become compliant and humble. And I tell you, this used to cork me because when I went through my desert times and I finally entered into the new covenant, I called my friend Carl Cacadellis as I came out and started begin, beginning to counsel other people and lead people into that same life of Christ. They were getting free without having to go through what I went through. And I called him up and I said, Carl, this is really bugging me, man. These people are getting into the same life and joy and grace and freedom that I experienced. And they didn't have to walk near the despair that I had to walk. And he said, well, Frank, that's only because they don't have as much pride as you did. Thank God for honest, faithful friends. I'm glad he lives in Virginia. And then thirdly, oh, what a glorious promise. You will arrive at the good. Where's the amen corner? They will work together for your good. That is Father's promise, my friends. Hallelujah. And so the goal, whatever Father brings into your life and the pruning is intimacy. That's what it's all about. Abide, abide, abide. How many times was it repeated, my friends? You go camping. There may be pain. But when the pain comes, back to the ultimate goal of the pain. And they're allowed to in. For this month, I very dark times. One stretch, about ten years ago, was I was so low that I begged God to kill me. As a pastor. As if that should surprise any of us. Because all a pastor is is a man have been given a job to do. That's all. No different from any other man or woman that's been given any other job to do. I was so low and Father wouldn't answer that prayer that I offered to do it for Him if He didn't do it. That's low. But at the end of that desert season when my Father opened up my eyes to who He is, and what He wants to be to me. I wept, and I wept, and I wept at how much He loved me. And at what I now had, or more correctly, at who I now had, and who had all of me. And then the glory. You see, I used to echo the words of Job. I used to say I knew you, but now my eyes really see. But if that wasn't enough, God does even better than that. Here comes the incredible glory. He has a purpose for allowing the pruning, the pain into our lives, and so that you, that you and I can enter into the purpose and walk in the purpose. But that's not the end of the story. You know what He does then? It says that He takes 
the years that the locusts have eaten and He restores them to us. So He took all this period of dry time and what He does is He heaps it on over here. And He restores what you lost. And so you really didn't lose anything. Actually, what happens is you get a double portion for a while. Almost as if to affirm you that you really have entered into what He's talking about. You've really entered into His life. Before we move on, I want to illustrate this with a true story as told by Brennan Manning. On a tape message that Brennan shares, he tells the story of a beautiful woman. He says in this tape, she was not pretty. She was not cute. She was beautiful. And he went on to describe her facial features, my friends. And as he describes them and gets rather intimate with her features... I mean, you can almost picture. You can almost picture this head-turning and heart-melting beauty. He told how she got married to some lucky guy. They had beautiful children. And then she acquired a very devastating thing called Hansen's disease, commonly known as leprosy. She ended up institutionalized at Carville. Subsequently, her husband abandoned her, divorced her, and kept the children away from her because of the shame. Now, you enter into that, my friends. She not only lost her health, she lost her marriage, she lost her kids, she lost her friends, she lost her home, she lost life as she knew it, and of course she lost her beauty. She lost it all. Like the vine that we talked about last week that has been so severely pruned by the vine dresser in December and January that there, are, there is no foliage left on it. It's just a, a hacked up stump sitting there out in the field with the sap just oozing out of it. That's what she went through. She called up Brennan and she asked him to come and share the Lord's table with him and to pray for her. He shares on the tape that when he got there, You couldn't recognize this once very beautiful woman. Her fingers were gone. Her nose and ears were gone. She was horribly, horribly disfigured. He said if it weren't for her radiating eyes, he wouldn't have known who she was. Did you hear that? If it weren't for what? Her radiating eyes. He visited with her for a time and then they shared, they shared the Lord's table and he prayed for her. And when she opened her eyes, Brennan says it was an incredible thing, but her eyes were radiating even more. 
And Brennan knew something had happened. And so he looked at her and he said, What? What is it? What is it? And as the tears began to pour out of those radiating eyes, she looked at him and she said these words, Abba has told me that I get to go home today. Brennan was sort of confused and he shook it off and he left. And later that day, he got the phone call that that lady, precious, precious lady, had died. She was not yet ready to die. Not medically. She had some years left. There was no health problem to to spur that on. How? How, my friends? Intimacy with God. So intimate that the Father could speak to her and say, Sweetheart, you get to come home today. A reenactment, if you will, of Genesis chapter 5 from the life of a man named Enoch who so walked with God that God just brought him home. Now, my friends, I believe if we could talk to that lady and ask her if her leprosy was worth it, that she would say something like this, I wish it could have been a different way. That's intelligence, right? But if the only way I could have found the intimacy with God to the point that I could call Him an Abba and He could speak to my heart and tell me that I could come home now, if the only way I could get that kind of intimacy was to go through what I've gone through, I believe with all my heart she would tell you, you better believe it, I'd go through it again. I'll put it to you this way, the promised purpose is worth the pain. That's from the book of Romans, chapter 8. We are joint heirs with Christ. It's all ours. We're children of God, but that's all going to be received, my friends, through sharing not only His life, but sharing His suffering. In fact, in Colossians, it says that when you and I suffer, we fill up the measure of Christ's sufferings. In other words, His sufferings were enough to get us saved. But for us to experience our salvation, there's more suffering to come. Doesn't that just minister to you? Does it remove the fear? No way. You mean to tell me that it's not... If it removes the fear, there's something wrong with you. You think that that if knowing I'm going to get intimacy... Because of suffering, that it would drive out the fear? Uh Uh-uh. Let me tell you, my friends, it's scary when the little baby inside your bride's tummy... It's scary when you learn that there's something inside there going wrong and you can't fix it. 
It's scary to, to have to have a little kid and, and nobody can tell you what's wrong with her. It aches in your soul when you see a little tiny baby try to do the normal things that a developing baby tries to do. When she tries to feed herself, but she can't do it. So she ends up eating like a dog off her tray that busts your guts. And you get angry. You get angry when she's fighting for her life and somebody miscalculates the dosage and almost kills her from a medicine. You get angry. It doesn't remove any of the normal realm of humanity, my friends. It doesn't. But I tell you the truth, and let me share this with you, please. Because I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If I could change that, in any way, you better believe I would. What parent would not want to change the pain of their child? I would do that in an instant for her. Don't misquote me on that. But from my own perspective, If the only way to know God is through what we've had to go through in this last couple of years, then my friends, I tell you the God's honest truth, I'd go through it again. Because I just feel like Job. I used to say I knew you. Oh, but God, now I really see. And I would not trade the intimacy and the peace that we have today with our Abba for anything other than if I could change it for her. Does that make sense to you? Oh, my friends, our sonship is revealed in His suffering. In our suffering and through the suffering we get intimacy and from the intimacy there comes the glorious fruit. Hallelujah. Fruit which radically transforms our life and the lives of other people. Would you like to be a Christian? But we could eliminate false conversions if we shared this when we share the gospel, huh? My Father, I pray for my friends. It is scary. It does hurt. We do get angry when you come with your pruning knife. Anybody who tries to tell us other than that is a liar. Coming to Jesus does not mean our lives will be comfortable, Father. We know that. And it's not the result of sin in our lives. Like so many would try to heap shame and condemnation upon us. It may be. We may have brought it on ourselves. But if we understand your word, Father, this is design. You're the one who comes with your knife. And it's only for our good. And so, my Father, may our eyes be open and may we receive the reality of what it means to walk with you. May we count the cost knowing that the suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed inside of us right now on this planet.
so be it in the lives of my friends and in my life as well. So be it. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we're not done yet. We needed to wrap that up, but we also need to move forward. Or we're going to be in this passage till some of you get die and go home. And the Lord will have to teach instead of me. So we need to ask, what is the nature of this fruit? If the ultimate goal is fruit, which is what this passage is all about, right? We saw that last time. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Well, we better ask, what's the nature of the fruit? And we're going to do this very quickly. Some have said that the fruit here is evangelism. Go out and reproduce your life. I can see how they can get that because the, the effect is producing. And there is a reference in John 4.36 to the fact that the fruit is converts. But we're going to say to that a resounding no. That's not what we're talking about here. The fruit being produced in our life is not new converts. Say that with me, please. The fruit being produced in our life is not new converts. We'll show you why. First of all, the word is karpos, the word for fruit. It's found 66 times in the New Testament. In only one of those times does it ever refer to evangelism. That's in John 4:36, in a very clear and specific reference. What the word karpos normally refers to is Christian character. The fruit we're talking about is the way we live. God wants to change the way we live. Very important. Say that with me. God wants to change the way we live. And how many of you want to change the way you live? I sure hope you do. Especially if you're going to be in any relationship. You don't want to live the way you've been living with those dear folks. And if you're in a relationship, you don't want them to keep on living the way they're living. Amen? Secondly, if it's converts, we're destroying the whole illustration. Because we in this passage are branches. If we're going to reproduce ourselves, what would we be reproducing? Other branches. And that's not the point of the passage. It's about being a branch and have our production in ourselves. Fruit coming on our branches. You see the point? We destroy the whole illustration. Well, then what is the fruit that the vine then produces through the branch? Well, look at the passage because I think God gives us a hint. What is this fruit that we're supposed to have? Why all this pruning then? Why does He cut off the dead and cut off the good branches and cut off even fruit-bearing branches? Why would God do that in our lives, my friends? What kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, in John 14, He said something called peace. My peace I leave with you. Then if you look at John 15, He talks about you and I being able to abide in love. And then he says in John 15, these things I've spoken that you might have what? Joy. Peace. Love. Joy. That's a hint. We call that a divine duh. Hello there. Duh. Peace. Love. Joy. Let's put it in the order that we find it elsewhere in Scripture. Love. Joy. Peace. See it? What are we talking about when we talk about fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's exactly right. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. That's what we're talking about. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the life of the vine flowing through us. All you horticulturists, this is an exciting time for you. We're glad you're here. 
Because you'll be the loudest ameners today. Charbel, you're here today. That's great. So you can amen real loud today. We talk about plants and stuff, right? The life of God. And the whole idea is that the life of that vine just flows through the branches and is able to produce the fruit. So please understand this. When we talk about fruit in our lives, when we talk about character, the way we live, it is not things we manufacture. Say that with me. It's not things we manufacture, my friends, because we can't manufacture them. Very important to understand that. I'll put it this way. The Christian life is not something we do. The Christian life is something we experience as He does it. He does what? Lives His life through us. Look, there's a great movement going across our land that has been started by some Christian people. It's called Character First. Oh, Frank, you're not going to attack that, are you? It's such a wonderful thing. You better believe we're going to attack it because that whole thing is a misnomer. It's incorrect. You can't have character without God. Not lasting character. Look, Character First is a great thing for unbelievers. I like it. Put it in the school systems. Hammer those people. Character, character, character. For unbelievers. But never for a Christian. Because the only way we get true Christian character is God first because God's going to live His life through us. Otherwise, it's just what you and I manufacture as human beings. Now, I'm all for manufacturing it with unbelievers. I'd much rather have integrity and honesty and virtue among unbelievers than sin and selfishness and crime. Great thing. Put it in the school system. But don't you dare put it in the church. It doesn't belong in the church. I'll show you why. My friends, I'll put it to you this way. The Christian life is not a command. What is the command in this passage is to abide. All we're told to do is to be a branch, like a branch to a vine, and that's called normality. Look, the whole thrust of this passage here is comfort and assurance, right? Jesus is getting ready to go away. Now, he says, little children, don't be afraid. Did you hear that? Jesus is going away. Don't be afraid, little children. Here's what I want you to do now. I want you to do everything I did. Go do it. How many of you know that would be very discomforting? That would be very hard to do. See? So this is not a command here. It's not a command to go live a certain way. Look at the passage. He's not commanding, not demanding. He's simply saying, become a part of Him, like a branch to a vine. And when you connect like a branch to a vine, you will naturally, spontaneously manifest God's life. That which is called fruit. There's no strings here. There's no work here. No pressure to perform. No religious ritual. No sackcloth to wear. No attention getting self-denial. Look at me, God. Look at me, God. That's not it. There's no spiritual elite. No secret to a deeper life. Nothing complicated. Nothing burdensome. Nothing stressful. No demanding discipline to help us experience Christianity. Jesus did not say this, quote, I am the room. Go find the secret key and we'll be together. That's not what he said. All he said was be like a branch to a vine. Abide. And that is called normality. Isn't that what branches normally do is attached to a vine? That's where the command comes in. And the problem is that you and I are so prone to abide to other things. Connect to other things. And supremely, we want to connect to our own strength and bear our own fruit. 
All he's saying here is very simple. Live life in an intimate connection to me. And the supernatural life that I am will flow through you. It's the same message of John chapter 7. The Spirit's going to come inside you and produce rivers of living water. His own life flowing through you. It's the same message of John chapter 6. I live out of the Father, Jesus said, and all I want you to do is live out of me. It's so simple. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but let me give you a picture. And you thought we could only draw stick people. Here we got a vine. These are the roots. And the roots here, of course, are God. That's what it's all about. And so the life of God flows through the vine. And that's what God is all about. He's about life. Isn't that exciting? In Him is life. And all Jesus is saying is, here you are as a branch. Now, all you need to do, your one supreme focus in life is what? Abide. Just connect to this vine, and what does he promise is going to happen? This life is just going to shoot through you, and what? Bear all kinds of fruit. See that? That is a glorious, glorious thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about these verses, or put these two verses together, but I want to put them together for you right now. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Anybody know it? We don't have time to turn there. Whatever you do, do it to the, say it, glory of God. This is what life is all about, the glory of God. And who's to be about doing the glory of God? Who's to be about it? We are. Say that. I'm about the glory of God. It's what I'm all about. But have you ever put that to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27? If the only thing we are to be about is the glory of God, listen to what he says. Christ in you, our hope of glory. Whoa. Christ in you, and we'll add some emphasis from Frank, is our only hope of glory. So if all we're to be about is the glory of God, and there's only one way to get the glory, and that's Christ in you, then what, how do you get the glory of God? Christ in you. You see, we hear all about me being in Christ, in Christ. Glorious truth, man. We preach it here. Amen. But don't ever forget the other side of the equation. The only way you're going to be able to live a glorious life is Christ put into you to live His life through you. He didn't give us His life to see what we would do with it. He gave us His life so He could live it through us. And that's the only way to bear fruit. The only way there is. In fact, let me state it to you this way. Believe it or not, we're almost done. If you try to live the Christian life, you're going to be sweating. Why are you going to be sweating? Man, that's hard work. Because what are you trying to be like? Trying to be like Jesus. And who is Jesus? God. Now, how many of you know it's hard for a man to be like God? You're going to be sweating. But that's exactly what the church has reduced the gospel to. We've reduced the gospel to trying to live like Jesus. Trying to be like Christ. And we can't live the Christian life, my friends. Listen to me, please. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. There's only been one person that ever lived it, and there's only going to be one person that will ever live it. 
And we've got to let him live it. Sweat is the product of the fall. Did you know that? Man didn't sweat before the fall. Now we sweat. And I don't know if you knew this, but when God establishes his, his priesthood, do you know that he told him no wool? What happens when men wear wool? Sweat. But God said, if you're going to be in my service, you wear not wool, but linen. Why? Because if you really understand God, there ain't no sweat. See? Because who's doing it? God is. And our only job is what? Intimacy. See? Abide. You try to be like God, you try to be your own light, you're going to be some sweating. My friends, it's time to stop the fantasy. You know that? The only light that we can shine is a received light. Remember Major Ian Thomas who was here two, three years ago? Of course now you forgot that. That's why Peter said, even though you know this, I'll teach it to you anyway because you forget it. Remember what Ian Thomas said back in the book of Genesis? God made two lights to rule in the heavens. He put a S-U-N up there to rule the day. And he put a M-O-O-N up there to rule the darkness. How does that happen? Well, the sun, S-U-N, shines its own light. How does the moon shine? It gets its light from the sun and reflects that light. So when, what happens though when the moon gets in the way of the sun? And we call that an eclipse. And what happens? Darkness. What happens when the moon, when the world gets in between the sun and the moon? Happens once a month. Darkness. Fascinating. Do you see how this applies to the church? God put a sun, S-O-N, to rule in the heavens. And He put a church to rule in the darkness of this world. But when the church, like the moon, tries to shine its own light, it's going to be darkness. When too much world gets into the church, there isn't any light to shine. And there's going to be darkness. And we call that a human eclipse. Because man is trying to be light. And there isn't any light in man. And don't you know, my friends, don't you just know that that's the state of the church? Let me tell you something. I make a business of the church. That's my job. And I stand here to tell you that the church in the United States of America is bankrupt. Yeah, not too many loud amens on that one. It is. The church in this country is bankrupt. There is no light. There is no power. We're building great buildings. We're building great radio ministries and great video cassettes. But the people of God have no life. And there is no power. Want me to prove it? Let me prove it. Let me prove it, my friends. Don't you just take my word for it. Don't ever do that. You be a Berean. So let me be a, help you be a Berean and ask you a question. There are five things right there that Jesus said He would give His church. I have come that your joy would be made full. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
My peace I leave with you. Not Peace not like the world gives. This is a peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that will so guard your life that no matter what comes into your life, you won't be shaken. Oh, you may hurt. You may grieve. You may cry. You may be afraid. But you will stand in Jesus Christ. He said you will know freedom. Freedom! Freedom from what? Freedom from your past. Freedom from your past, my friends. And how many of you have a past you want to be free of? Freedom from other people. What a glorious freedom that is. Because in the fall, what happened? We became like God. And so every man and woman on the face of this planet is someone I look to to mirror back to me significance and value. And that puts me into bondage to what they think about me. And so I've got to perform for them. Am I doing okay today, Drew? Am I doing okay? And Drew says, no, you're not. Oh, I'll try harder, Drew. I'll try harder. See, now am I okay? See, and I'm in bondage to a human being who was never intended to have that kind of a power and authority over another human being. You know why? Because human beings abuse that power. How many of you have tasted that? Yeah. You know why? Because you've used it (laughs) and not just received it. So you can't look at this kind of a message and say, oh, those bad people. See, because we is they. We have met the enemy and they is us. See? You know what the ultimate freedom is? Freedom from yourself. Freedom from such a preoccupation with yourself. And that's all you can see. And, and, and sick. You can be free of yourself. That's glorious. Free to not take yourself so seriously. Free to laugh at yourself. You know? Free to look in the mirror and just sit there and look and laugh. I mean, like the time I'm driving down Burbank Road, man. And I see a tool. When you're a homeowner, you like tools. So, man, I'm going to grab the tool. So I flip to you and I come back and we're in a van. And so I start to cruise by and I open the door. And Janet says, aren't you going to stop the car and get out? No, I can do this. And so I slow down. There's nobody coming behind me on Burbank. And I lean. And how many of you know when you're in a van, you're a lot higher up than you are when you're in a car? And Janet is watching me, and pretty soon she sees my feet go up in the air, and boom, out the door I go. And I can hear her yelling to the kids, feel for a bump, feel for a bump. And I got the blessed tool, man. Just like get smart, get up and start dusting off, you know. Run after the car, because it's still going down Burbank. And what does she do? No. She slams it in the park. There goes the transmission. And I get in the car. And how many of you know, when you experience something like that, you don't want to laugh. You are, you are angry. But what are all these little slameels in the church, in the car wanting to do? And Ben can't hold laughter in. So he starts laughing. And you don't take yourself so you look in the mirror and you start laughing too. And man, of course, you know him. He's got dollar signs. He's, Dad, let's reenact it and tape it for Funniest Home Videos. How many of you know if you take yourself seriously, you'd never tell that story? But this is freedom. I'm free to fail. 
I'm free to be a weak human being. How glorious. I don't have to be God. Good thing. And neither do you. And they came to give abundant life. Now, my friends, get back into where we were. Joy, rest, peace, freedom, abundant life. You look at the church in America right now and you tell me, how many Christians do you know that have even two of those things as abiding presences in their life? Do you see them in the church? Are they in you? We'll get personal. We'll go from preaching to meddling. Jesus said He has no problem giving those things. If He has no problem giving them, and we don't have them, where's the problem? Yes, in us. And you know what it is? We've left Jesus out of the church. Do you know how many churches you can go into and you can't hear His name? Oh, you hear a lot of principles. Oh, go ahead and get mad. You'll hear a lot of principles, but you won't hear Jesus. We've left Him out of the equation, my friends. And He is the one in whom Paul said, excuse me, Peter said, maybe Paul, said, I don't have to be perfect. In whom we have our very life and breath. It's only with Jesus we breathe. That breath you just took, Debbie, it was only by Jesus. Whoop, another one, just by Jesus. See, it's starting to get you looking at your breathing, doesn't it? Wow. Then you start looking at Jesus. Branches don't produce fruit, my friends. Branches bear fruit. Is that right, Charbel? Is that right? Branches don't produce fruit. They just bear it. Isn't that true in, in horticulture? Boy, I'm so glad he agreed with me. <laughs> he just said, no, Frank, you're wrong. Well, shoot that old sermon. <laughs> How many of you know that man can produce fruit? You better believe he can. But man can produce only one kind of fruit. Plastic, wax. And what happens if you've ever taken a bite out of wax fruit? Blech. See? And let me tell you something, my friends. That's exactly why the church is so bankrupt and weak. Because we're offering to the world plastic fruit. And the world has tasted it, and they don't like it. And you know what? I don't blame them. I've been in a lot of churches before I came to understand the New Covenant. I wouldn't invite an unbeliever to it. Because they would taste legalism and self-righteousness. And they would taste disciplines that they won't be able to pull off. And so they become conference junkies. Maybe this time it'll take. And they walk the aisle time and time again. See? And we preach at it. Branch! Bear fruit! I'll try! Bear fruit! I'll try! Why aren't you bearing fruit? I know I'm so wicked. And they walk the aisle. And they read, I'll bear fruit this week. And then they come in next week. I haven't borne any fruit. And so they keep walking the aisle, walking the aisle. And we lay the guilt and shame on them for being, not being able to do what they were never created to do. And we call this church. Well, this tape's going to make a lot of people mad. Buy a bunch of them, ship around. Maybe we'll just... The world can't taste what the church has produced. And so the church needs to desperately reality, which is Jesus, and once again bear fruit. Do you understand what this is all about? A body, a soul, and a spirit. There you are, Jerry Zelmer. And God put His life in you so that you could release that life. And the fruit you bear is the life of Jesus Christ. 
through a very unique personality and a very unique body. Jerry produces, he manifests the life of Christ in a way that no one else can on this planet. How many of you know that? Paul, I bet you could really amen that, huh? He just expresses that life of Christ really uniquely. <laughs> and guess what? Lottie. Resnick, there he is. See, he produces the same life of Christ, but with a very different body from Jerry's and a very different personality from Jerry's. See that? And then there's Debbie, Chopin, now Keeney, Chopin Keeney. And it's the same life. The same holy, loving, peace, joyful, kind, gentle life. But it's expressed through another unique body and another unique personality. And here's Bill Lovell. And there's a unique body and a personality if ever I saw one. And there's this life of God. It's the same life, but through a unique personality and body. And so you see what happens? God is into this incredible panorama of His life. This incredible manifestation, different through every single person, but the same life. And the world then comes and, and we can taste this thing. And the world comes up and says, Good night, what is it? Wow! I want it. See? Because it's good. Because it's God. And so the byproduct of the fruit is evangelism. Isn't that an interesting thought? Where did we begin this thing? With evangelism. Evangelism is the byproduct of New Covenant Christianity, never the goal. <laughs> Does that blow your mind? i got to end, but i got to end with this. I hate religion. I despise religion. I take great pleasure when I fill out a form. Are you religious? Absolutely not. <laughs> hate that stuff. Hate it, hate it, hate it. See? Why? Because what does religion do? Religion comes to you and takes this and says, you do this. And it works from the outside in trying to conform you. You know what religion does? makes everybody try to look the same, act the same, talk the same, wear the same clothes. That's religion. I hate it. Jesus is not in religion. He's into freedom. The freedom of expressing his life through a unique personality and body. And looking at this church, a lot of unique personalities and bodies. See? And it's glorious. And the religious people can't handle it. I told you the story years ago. We're going to end with this. It's incredible. What Hindu Brahmin walking along in India. And he found a guy, a merchant, who had trained a dozen quail. Some of you remember the story? Some of you are new. You don't know it. And he had trained them. And he connected them with a, with a pole in the ground and a ring around it and string and put the string around the, the, the little pigeon's necks or whatever. And so they walked in a circle and the Hindu Brahmin came along and he said, Oh, look at these poor creatures. They were crazy to fly, to be free. And they're, they're bound. And so he says, I'll buy them all. And the merchant, Yay, all right, big sale. He says, Now, cut the strings. No way, I can't do that. Took years to train them. He says, Hey, I bought them. They're mine. Cut the strings. And so he cut the strings. And what did the pigeons continue to do? They continue to walk in a circle. That's the church. So incredibly free and don't even know they're free. And so the, the Hindu Brahmin, he says, Shoo! And they flew. They actually flew. And they went up the about a hundred yards down the road and they hit the ground and what did they instantly start doing? Started walking in a circle again. That's the church. We don't like it the way it is here. We're going to go start a new one and do it right. And so we just keep doing it wrong everywhere we go. And it's the same. And it's bankrupt. And it's empty. And the world knows it. That's why we're not winning people to Christ. There's no Christ to taste. It's a bunch of plastic fruit. 
And how many of you know, enter into the fullness of this illustration, how many of you know that if one of those pigeons broke ranks, walked in a circle and said, this is stupid. There ain't no string anymore. I could have had a V8. And starts to fly. What are those other 11 pigeons going to do? Who does he think he is? Get back here and rank with the rest of us. And that, my friends, is the church. They do not understand the freedom that is ours in Christ. Do you understand that? I pray that you understand who you are in Christ. It is not the freedom to go do whatever you want to do. It's the freedom to let Jesus live through you in a life of holiness and love and gentleness and meekness and kindness that the world can taste and say this is good and that the church can taste and say this is awesome to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And you enter into it, my friend, by the vine dresser's pruning knife. Don't ever forget that. So that when it comes, you won't be shocked and you won't be frustrated. It's only to bring the harvest. It's only to bring the harvest. And I'll tell you something. It's worth it. It really is worth it. Hardly a day goes by I don't look at that little girl and cry. I'd change it if I could. But in the chance of my own life, it's worth it. Father, truth sets free. Oh, what a glorious word you have. Thank you for your word. And more importantly, thank you for the living word, Jesus. May the written word always lead us to the living word. May we never settle for the doctrine on the page, but for the divine in the person. Oh, Father, that's a write-down. That's a write-down. May we never settle for the doctrine on the page, but may we only settle for the divine in our person. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Father. Let every saint say it. Amen. Announcements, Philip.